Well, thank you so much, Paul. And let's give another round of applause, I think. I want us to make them and, and so many of the others who are our global workers, our emissaries of the gospel to go forth uh, to feel like they are just incredibly special to us because they are and to sense what we really feel for them, which is just incredible love and support. Um, I want to dismiss the junior high students at this time. Um, you're going to go learn about Jesus in another room. That's great. Thanks for worshiping with us. Um, I also want to give a special welcome to East and North Campus. I'm doing a little time travel. Welcome to you here from Central Campus. So happy to be worshiping together and, and, uh, and listening, learning from God's Word together. Um, Parkview Church exists to glorify God by making disciples of Jesus Christ. And we do that uh, through the whole church forming whole disciples of Jesus for the good of all people. That is our mission. That is our vision. And it has everything to do with what we're talking about today, which is God's glory being magnified and progressed through the whole world that God has created. Uh, today we're going to be learning from John 17. We'll be continuing in our series through John 17 and Jesus' great prayer uh, for his disciples. So if you want to get out your handy-dandy Bible, um, you can turn with me to John 17. Of course, we'll be reading this passage in John 17, and it'll, you'll see how organic it is to talk about God's global glory through this passage in John 17. But of course, we'll have a special emphasis on God's global plan to glorify his son Jesus in the midst of a people from every tribe, tongue, and nation that he has rescued, redeemed, transformed. Now, today's passage is sort of exciting because this is where, in Jesus' prayer, he, he turns to begin praying for us. Uh, Jesus begins uh, in John 17 praying um, for his final hour, what he's about to experience in those first five verses. Then he begins to pray for his disciples that are there with him, listening to him praying, recording these words later. And then in verses 20 through 26, which will be sort of the end of our series, he prays for us. He begins by saying this, I do not ask for these only, meaning those who are with him at that moment, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Here's Jesus praying for us. What does Jesus want to pray for us? We're going to find out today. A few months ago, uh, my son Jack woke up one morning. I remember, I, you know, we've got a little light that turns on, and that's when he's allowed to get out of his room and start, you know, waking up his brother and making noises and things. And uh, he woke up, and I went into his room, and he was, you know, playing Legos or something. And he looked at me, and just, just the, with the most innocent little eyes, he's three years old, looked at me and said, Daddy, I'd like a banana for breakfast. Okay. <laughs> Wonderful. I'm so glad to know that. The problem was, we didn't have any bananas. Normally, we would. Well, guess what? About an hour later, uh, something incredible happened. His grandpa, Tom, showed up at our house. This is not entirely unusual, but he showed up at our house, and guess what he had with him? A banana! Okay? One person was totally shocked. Okay, Jack was totally surprised. I can't believe it, and I have just the most precious video. I thought about showing it to you, but I don't want to, you know, it's much more exciting for me probably than you. But um, he, was, he said, it's a miracle. It's a miracle. He brought a banana. How did he know, okay? And we said, isn't that wonderful? God answers your prayer. Now, in this sense, you know, there was sort of a bit of a human explanation for how God answered his prayer. I'll admit that, because I called Tom and said, do you want to make a little boy's day? You know? But all the same. What happened? I, I listened to his prayer, and I said, I want to be the answer to his prayer. I, I want to help see that prayer fulfilled. 
And so what did, God gave Jack a dad who cares about him and a grandpa who cares about him. And somehow, I don't know how bananas get here. I don't know where they grow, but the, somehow the miracle of agriculture happened. And so, yeah, God, God fulfilled Jack's little, precious little boy prayer through me, kind of. And there's something that rings true about that experience as we read John 17. In John 17, verses 20 through 23, we get to eavesdrop, as it were, on Jesus' prayer for us. And as I listen to Jack's little precious three-year-old prayer asking for a banana, you know, on a Wednesday morning, and did everything I could to see it happen, so also we should read John 17, the words that Jesus has prayed for our generation, and be thinking, how can I be part of seeing this come to pass? When Jesus prays, he, he's inviting us into his deepest heart for us and for our generation. Let's listen to him. Listen now to Jesus' prayer for you and me and Parkview Church in John 17, verses 20 through 23. It says this, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved me, loved them, even as you loved me. Parkview, I want you to hear this from God's word. Be an answer to Jesus' prayer by embracing Jesus' mission to the world. Let's be an answer to Jesus' prayer by embracing Jesus' mission to the world. This passage shows us what Jesus wants and how to get there. What Jesus wants and how to get there. But first, we must ask for the Lord's power to help us learn and obey. Will you pray with me? Lord, your word is perfect, reviving our souls your word makes us wise. Your word makes us new. Help us today, whether we are coming here feeling confident or we are limping here, desperate for you to restore. Be who you are for us today. We bring our hearts to you. We bring our souls to you, asking you to do what only you can do. Speak to us through your word. Help us to see what you have called us to is not only right and good, it is also beautiful. Glorify Jesus through us, we pray. Now, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. Oh, Lord God, our rock and our redeemer, we pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Wonderful. So we will learn what Jesus prays for, what does Jesus want, and how we can be the answer. First, we'll read about what Jesus wants. We'll be sort of bouncing around a little bit here, but it's, it's three verses, four verses, so we won't get lost, don't worry. Um, this passage is sort of unique in that Jesus prays a number of requests for his future followers. You've probably heard uh, as I was reading them that they repeat themselves. There, there are themes that emerge even in, in these few short verses. Um, but each of these prayers that he is making are connected to one another and they build off of and onto one another. They sort of follow logically. You notice how this passage, if you look down with me there in 20 through 23, you, you see one word that pops up again and again is the word that. 
so that, in order that, um, the glory that you have given me, that I've given them, that they may be one, I and them and you and me, uh, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know, uh, I do not ask, but that they may be all, all, all one. It's this word that sort of just becomes the drumbeat of this passage and connects each of these individual requests together. Um, think of it this way. I, you know, if I were to come up to one of you after the service and say, hey, I need your help. I need your help. Here's what I need you to do. I need you to take my keys. Okay, they're over there. I need you to take my keys and go out to my car and grab my office keys, actually, and go, go into my office back there. Grab the yellow book. It's on the desk. Grab the yellow book. Come back here, and then if you can find Macy and give it to her, that'd be great. What I'm essentially saying is <laughs> go to my car so that you can grab my keys so that you can go to my office so that you can find the yellow book so that Macy can have the book. Now, I could just say to you, give Macy my Sam Chan book <laughs> and cut out every single thing in between. But Jesus doesn't do that with us. He wants to, to show us his whole heart. There's a sense in which I could jump right to the end and yet it would leave us asking, what, how, why? Jesus brings us in. He gives us every step of the journey. And this passage answers each of, each of those questions for us, that what, what does he want? You see it repeated twice. It's sort of the final thing, you know, the thing at the end. Like, I just wanted Macy to have my book. If we skip right to the end, what does Jesus want? We look, take a look there in verse 21. That they may all be one, just as you, Father, and me, and I and you. That they may also be in us. And finally, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Again, in verse 23, it sort of comes at the end of a long string of sort of prayers I and them, you and me, that they may become perfectly one. Why? What's the final reasoning? What's the final thing? If we were to skip to the end and say, what does he want? What does he finally want? So that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. So what does Jesus want? That the whole world would know, let me pause there, that the whole world <laughs> would know two things. Number one, that Jesus has been sent by the Father, that, that you have sent me, he says. Remember, he's praying to God, so you have sent me, that's you, God have sent me, Jesus. And that God loves them just as God loves his perfect son, Jesus. Now, that's worth meditating on and letting your mind be blown by several times a day. We'll get there. Why does ask, Jesus ask for those two things in particular? It's, it's not that he sort of has two doctrinal points in mind, you know, if I could pick two things, there's, that's what I want. no. It's that when you put these two things together, it sort of summarizes what the whole Bible is all about. The whole message of the Bible could be uh, summarized in concise fashion in those two ideas. God has sent Jesus because he loves us. In fact, doesn't it sound like maybe the most famous Bible passage of all? Uh, John 3.16, doesn't it? Uh, For God so loved the world that he sent his only son. It's what we would simply call the gospel. What does Jesus want? Jesus wants for the whole world to believe the gospel of Jesus, the good news about Jesus. Jesus' prayer was not just for our neighbors only, although it's certainly for them, those who are local to us, to believe the gospel of Jesus. It's that the world would know and believe in the gospel of Jesus. See, this is what's, this is what's happened in our world. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The crown of his creation was man and woman created in innocence 
uh, and sinless, created to bear his image to all of God's good creation. They were to be led forth and empowered by their personal and intimate relationship with their creator to rule over wisely and benevolently over the world that God had created. But tragically, they disobeyed. They disobeyed God, and the world spiraled into darkness and disease and decay and disarray, and their family tree, of which we are just the outermost ring, is marked now not by ever-increasing joy, love, and honor and worship for God, but by disease and disobedience and destruction. But God, in his great wisdom and mercy and kindness, has found a way to set his world to rights. God has joined himself to a people. He joined himself to the people of Israel and through the only perfect person, Jesus, born of mankind, born not in sin, but as if he were every bit like you and me, Jesus lived the life that all of us should have lived, that all of our ancestors could not live. But instead of receiving the blessing that his perfect life, every perfect decision, every perfect instinct, every perfect emotion, everything, instead of receiving the blessing that that perfection deserved, he went to the cross to receive the punishment that our imperfection, the imperfection of all of his ancestors and all of our descendants deserve. But thanks be to God, because though on the cross he suffered all of the punishment we deserve and went to a full human death, Jesus did not stay in the grave. (laughs) And this is good news for us today, because God raised him back to life, showing that death is defeated, that God has accepted his son's sacrifice on our behalf, and that one day God will, as sure as Jesus rose from the dead, God will one day usher in the new world that he envisioned from the beginning. God is setting his world to rights through the person and work of Jesus. And one day, God will do it once and for all. None of your suffering will go uncompensated. None of the injustice that we have seen and experienced will go unpunished. None of the pain that we have experienced will go unnoticed. God, through Jesus, is undoing the curse that our world has endured since our first parents ate the fruit that God said, you shall not eat. Death itself is working backwards as God, through the power of the cross, through the empowering of his Holy Spirit, is hitting rewind on millennia of disobedience and death. That is the gospel, that that God will one day gather all of the people that obey Christ around this one man Jesus, this king Jesus, this slaughtered lamb Jesus in worship, in adoration, in obedience to the fullness that his character and works have earned. That is what God is doing. And we're rehearsing today by, by singing to this king, by, by learning from this king, from his word, what we will one day do forever gladly enjoying him, working for him in a new world that he will create. Does anyone else here long for that? (laughs) Who doesn't want in on this? Okay, I do. This is the gospel that Jesus wants the whole world to believe. Not just our neighbors, but to the very ends of the earth. This is the gospel that he shed his blood to accomplish and apply. This is the gospel that Jesus prayed for in John 17 that we would take to the ends of the earth. And praise God, Because little groups of Christians from 
zero AD from the death of Jesus and his resurrection all those 2,000 years ago to us sitting here in Iowa City heeded the call of John 17 that the gospel was not just for them but was for their neighbors and for their enemies across the river and for the people across the sea that they had never even met and didn't even know what they looked like. Indeed, when the apostles heard this prayer, they didn't just write it down and study it. They certainly did that. They didn't sit on their hands, certainly not. They sought to fulfill it. They listened to Jesus' prayer, and they said, we need to see this happen. We need to see this happen. They were burdened for people they had not yet known, not yet met, who had never heard the name of Jesus. Since Jesus prayed that the whole world would hear this gospel, believe this gospel, they decided they must go to the whole world. Now soon we're going to be studying through the book of Acts in the new year. Uh, the Acts of the Apostles, or we could call it the, the Acts of the Resurrected Christ, leading his fledgling church as, as the gospel began to explode across the Mediterranean into the ancient world. It tells us a story, that story, the gospel exploding across the ancient world from a group of scared disciples who were puzzling over the fact that these women came and said, he's alive, the, the, the tomb is empty, what's, what's happened? And they locked themselves in a room and said, what has happened? What is going to happen here? All the way as it traveled through the ancient world, through missionary journeys uh, into Rome, and we read the letters of the New Testament, what do we see? These are missionary documents where little churches are beginning to gather the courage to obey Jesus and to go to their friends and neighbors and to send people like the Apostle Paul and others across seas in dangerous journeys. Why? Because they were compelled by the beauty of this gospel. And they were compelled to obey this wonderful Jesus. How did it get there? How did that movement begin and how did it go? That's the answer to our next question. But at the core of it is this. The first Christians heard what Jesus said in John 17, that the gospel was meant to go somewhere. And that they and their little group of believers, whether it be five people locked in a room, scared for their lives, or a hundred people, or that's probably about as big as it would have been at that point, they had to decide for themselves. Will the gospel come to us and find a cul-de-sac or an on-ramp? That's a question we have to answer today, too. How will it happen? Well, let me, let me say again. What, what does Jesus want? That's our first point. What does Jesus want? He wants the world to believe the gospel, the whole world to believe the gospel. Uh, that, that's the first thing that we need to know in order to be an answer to Jesus' prayer uh, in John 17 today. Now that we know what he wants, now how will it actually happen? How will it actually happen? Uh, that's what we need to learn next. How, the, how will the world hear who Jesus is and what he has done? And, and I want you to listen up here <laughs> because apparently uh, if you gave Jesus uh, just, just one moment apparently to, to express to us to his nearest disciples, and of course in his understanding of how history would go, the words that we would hear one day as sort of the one thing that we need, the most indispensable thing that we need in order to accomplish the mission that he's given us here to, to seek to fulfill his deepest will for his little church that now has become big, what would it be? What would you guess it, it is? If, you did, if, you didn't, if we didn't have John 17, you said, hmm, what would Jesus pray for? What's the thing we most need in order to take the gospel to the world? I feel like, it, wouldn't you say like boldness, zeal, you know, strength and power. How about eloquence, you know, re being able to be really relevant. And, you know, everyone just wanting to hear what we say because we're re really hip 
I don't know what I would pray for. Those are all obviously bad answers, but uh, I don't know. That's what I would think. But what does it say? It says this. Look with me in verse 21. And he says this over and over again. That they may all be one. There in the middle of verse 22, he repeats this again. That they may be one, even as we are one. Jesus is telling us in his prayer in John 17 that the most indispensable characteristic of a church that wants to fulfill his prayer in John 17 is unity. Unity. That surprised me. Not boldness, not power, not knowledge, not eloquence, not insight. No. Unity. Our resurrected King Jesus says that unity around the gospel is what we need to fulfill the mission for the world to believe the gospel of Jesus. He also gives us a hint as to what the quality of that unity would look like uh, throughout the passage when he says things like this, again there in verse 21, that they may be one. Could have stopped there. He wants to describe it for us. That may be one. They may be one. Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, Really? Wow. Uh, He intends for us to be as unified with one another as God the Father is with Jesus the Son. Think about that for the next five weeks. Okay. He goes on. That they may also be in us. That they may be one even as we are one. He says again there in the end of verse 22. I in them and you in me that they may become perfectly one. Remember in Acts 2, we often talk about, you know, the, the, the burgeoning new little church. What, what's the first way that they're described? It's through their unity. It's about their unity. Uh, they were together. They had everything in common. Anyone who had need was taken care of. Uh, no one considered anything their own, but they looked out so desperately for the needs of one another. They made each other's problems their own. They were united. They understood the words of John 17. That's right. Perfectly one. Unity is a big deal. Uh, I think if you talk to any one of the missionaries who are here visiting us and, and that we have sent out, they would tell you what a big deal it is to be united in mission, especially cross-culturally. They'll tell you it's no surprise that Jesus asked for unity. Uh, conflict with their own team, it's, it's one of the main ways that, that missionary teams break down, that, that, things get, that things get goofed up. And it's important also to notice the source of this unity, Jesus says. It's not the kind of unity that's natural or easy or convenient, there are plenty of groups around the world in our city whose, built, whose, whose unity is built basically around shared preference. You know what I mean? We all like the same kind of music. We're unified. <laughs> um, we all look the same. We all think the same. We've got the same ideology. We've got the same sort of uh, thoughts about certain things that aren't you know, related to Christ. Uh, we've got the same political affiliation. We've got the same personality. We all, we're sort of the same people, you know? Uh, we've got the same age. We've got, those are, they're sort of easy ways to find unity. We've, we like this, we're sort of, we've got the same style, that kind of thing. But the kind of Jesus, unity that Jesus prays for, the, the kind that he died for is based on what God has done through Jesus, bringing us into the family of God and making us one with Christ. Jesus is saying that if we are united to Jesus, we must also strive to be united with one another. And in doing so, we will be able to accomplish the mission that he has given us. Unity in their commitment to Christ is what led those first followers of Jesus to decide that they couldn't keep this gospel to themselves. 
They could not let the gospel come and find a cul-de-sac. They had to find an on-ramp to speed the gospel forward from them. This gospel belonged to the world, and they were committed. They were unified around that one truth. And so in the book of Acts, which we're going to get to soon, the gospel makes its way to Rome, to the seat of imperial power. It somehow made its way into Europe. Okay, that's good. It's getting closer. (laughs) Um, And from there, in the face of persecution and danger and betrayal and all kinds of, you know, terrible things that happened to them, they continued to move the gospel forward. I remember a a few years ago, I guess it was probably five years ago now, um, my wife and I went on a little trip. We went over to Europe and spent some time over there. And I remember one of our favorite places was in Lyon. I'm probably saying it wrong. Lyon, France. Uh, I don't speak French. The only French I know is je ne sais pas parler français, which means I do not know how to speak French. Uh, So I probably said that wrong too. Um, But I remember one of my favorite things was we we were staying sort of close to this, it was like some ruins. I didn't know exactly what it was, but... I eventually went over and I took a look at it and it looked like an old amphitheater and there was a little placard and it was in French so I couldn't read it so I went home and I typed it out. Anyway, here's what I found out. This was a Roman amphitheater from the second century, well, the first century, but, and it was where some of the first martyrs in the Christian faith died. And there I was on vacation. <laughs> they died because they refused to let the gospel meet a dead end in their city. And from France, the, the gospel worked its way, well, what's now France, the gospel worked its way northward into, into Britain and to the, from there to the European continent and finally into northern Europe and, and where the Vikings were finally converted to Christ sometime in the second century. In the age of the Reformation, the missionary spark was again re, relit in the church. And by God's grace, the gospel came to America. Can you believe it? To people like us. Uh, as many of us were coming to America around the same time. And in the middle of the last century, some Christians, uh, they got together in a little Midwestern town, a little sleepy town, and they started to be burdened. They started to be burdened by the fact that children in their area didn't know about Jesus and they didn't have a way to learn him. And so they started meeting. And uh, from that, it became a small church. And from that, it began to grow and grow. And and then they moved to this little place on Foster Road. Uh, And it began to grow and grow, and it began to grow and grow still until... Uh, sometime in the mid-90s, little Thomas Hoke put his faith in Jesus. (laughs) Do you know why that happened? It's because people in, how how many steps along the way for the gospel to get to me and to you here sitting in a room like this? A hundred? I don't know, a thousand? A thousand little churches that decided we're not going to be a cul-de-sac, we are going to be an on-ramp. Okay, and here we are today. Now, guess what, Parkview? We're going to be an on-ramp. <laughs> We're not going to be a cul-de-sac. But it can't just be one of us. It can't just be one team. It can't just be one group. It's got to be all of us. We've got to be all in. We've got to be all in on the global glory of Christ through the people that we are sending out and through each one of us as we support them. It is not easy to stay focused on people that we don't see, is it? Uh, they're not in our line of vision every single week. It's, it's not something we talk about all the time. It, it ought to be something we're talking about more and more. Uh, but here's how we can begin to play our part in the story that God is writing now. I mean, doesn't, let's be honest. Doesn't it feel kind of like, I, I guess I've had this thought in the past. Wow, aren't we kind of at the point of, in history where it's like, we're, we've done pretty well. You know, I mean, the gospel's gotten so far. There's really, I mean, there's hardly anything, I don't know. Guess what? Every single person before us thought that too. 
And praise God, they decided not to think that anymore. <laughs> now, uh, th- this has been a wonderful global outreach conference so far. It was so wonderful to sit here last night, well, not here, but out there, and hear updates from our global outreach workers um, as, they, as they hopefully are, are doing a couple things. First of all, it's for us. We have a responsibility to care for them. This is the normal pattern of the church throughout the centuries is that they would be burdened for the lost in another town, in another place, across an ocean, across a river, and another tribe, whatever it happened to be, and they would gather support and they would say, Bill, Judy, that was not their names long ago, but will you go? What do you think? And Bill and Judy said, we've got to go. We've got to go. What can we do? Look at what Jesus said. Look what he's promised us. We've got to go. Let's be an on-ramp. They didn't have on-ramps yet, but let's be an on-ramp to the gospel going forth. And they went, and they supported them. And when they came back, they said, you're back. And they fell all over them and said, how has it been? What's been going on? Tell us. Is there good news? Is there bad news? What's the Lord been doing? And they would update them. Now, I I fear that being in a big place like this and seeing, oh, there's all these people who are here and we're supporting so many, you know, that they sort of get lost in things. Let's not let that happen. Let's go. At, the, at this next hour, at 10.30, or if you're at nor- east and north, I know that's been beforehand, but uh, go. Listen to their stories. I, I listened last night. It's in 106, 107, 108. This is basically the hallway of where we're going after this um, at Central Campus. But I listened last night, and they shared honestly and vulnerably. There were good stories. There were hard stories. They need us to encourage them, to pray for them. If I were to give you sort of one big action step for you to do in this next you know, week in response to this and even today, it would just be to begin growing in cultivating a burden in your heart for those who don't know Jesus. I know uh, some of you are here, maybe you, you're here and you're like, I don't know this Jesus. This is what you're talking about is strange to me. I, I wonder if you would consider looking at John 17. Here's Jesus praying for you. <laughs> Add that to your thought of, of, what, uh, of what he's done. And, and what he desires for you. He's praying for you. Uh, but, but come, 106, 107, 108, and begin to bear a burden. Give those whom, whose face you have never seen a greater and greater part of your mental, spiritual, emotional energy. Let them burden you. Bear a burden for them. Now I say them generically, and that's because I think what you probably need to do is, is connect with one of those workers. Ask them, who can we be praying for? You need a name. You need maybe even some faces. You need, you need to hear about what's going on. Uh, Scott, what's going on? Uh, Eric, what's going on? You know, all these people. Tell me, how can I be praying? Sign up for their email updates. Respond to them. When you get a newsletter, how is this going? Oh, they shared a concern. Hey, I'm concerned for that too. I'm praying for this. Here's how I'm praying for you. Develop a greater and greater burden for those who don't know Christ yet. Uh, if you want to know more and more and, and you've got to head off, zoom off right now today or you're at North Campus or East Campus and you can't go today, uh, contact the office and you can get our Global Worker booklet. You can look through every single missionary that your funds go to support, uh, that your prayers are going to support and you can begin, pick one, pick a few, pray for them, contact them. How are things going? It is the normal Christian life to be increasingly, increasingly burdened for those who don't know Christ. Praise God that that's been true for the centuries because otherwise we wouldn't be here. Let's be not a cul-de-sac, but an on-ramp for what God is doing. The final thing I'll mention, and, and it's really exciting, is, is the Thanksgiving offering. 
Every year, Parkview, for, for quite a long time, Parkview has set aside a special time for offering in the week of Thanksgiving to go above and beyond what we normally give, and I've, I know we found it to be an incredible blessing. Uh, this past year, that, that money that we've collected uh, last year was used in a number of ways to answer Jesus' call, Jesus' prayer in John 17. Funds were given to start new missionary ventures to get some of our workers who we had supported into a new area to see the gospel go forward. Uh, it supported an orphanage in Mexico that we support called Casa Hogar. Um, it supported Rafa House that, that, that ministers to, to survivors of sexual trafficking, human trafficking. It supported early childhood literacy in Nigeria. These funds that you give for the Thanksgiving offering are going throughout the world to answer, be part of the answer to Jesus' prayer in John 17. It's one of the ways that we can be an on-ramp rather than a cul-de-sac for gospel growth. So I pray that you would ask that you would consider uh, giving to the Thanksgiving offering above and beyond what you normally do to see the gospel go forth in the way that Jesus asks for in John 17. Let's be an on-ramp. Can we all commit to it? Let's be an on-ramp for the gospel to see Jesus' prayer answered in spectacular ways in our generation for the gospel to speed forth, not just in us, but through us. God is mighty to save. He is with us. This is what he's doing. Let's join him in it. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for John 17. Thank you that you have called your people to a worldwide gospel because you are a cosmic God. You created all things. You created all people. You deserve our worship. You deserve the worship of all people. Lord, help us to heed this call. Help us to bring our hearts to you. Maybe we're here today feeling like we just kind of lack zeal. We know, we're, we, know we should be excited, <laughs> but we don't find excitement in our hearts. Lord, help us to bring our hearts to you. Maybe we're here and we just need to learn. Maybe we're here and we're feeling crushed, uh, feeling overwhelmed. Lord, thank you that wherever we are, you promise to meet us in kindness when we come to you in humility. Lord, help us as your people to be an on-ramp to the gospel speeding forward in our generation and beyond, to think beyond our ring of the family tree of Christ toward others. Unify us, Lord, in this mission. Unify us as one church in three, three campuses, three locations. Unify us there. Unify us around this mission for Christ. And do all this for the glory of Jesus, we pray. Lord, please help us be an answer to his prayer in John 17 that the world might believe that you have sent Jesus and that you love us just as you love Jesus in all of his perfection. We pray, amen.